Look around, what do you see? Cars, lots of them. And guess what? They're probably on Auto Trader. Whether you're into timeless classics or the latest trends, did somebody say solar-powered, eco-friendly, vegan, leather-wrapped, aromatherapy-scented, disco ball-equipped, self-driving car? If you see it on the road, you can likely find it on Auto Trader. Big cars, small cars, blue cars, new cars, used cars, electric cars, and one day, maybe even flying cars. With millions of options to choose from, buying a car becomes a whole lot easier. See it. Find it. Auto Trader. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yay, you know what that means, everyone. It's been a while since you've heard it, but after three long years, we are finally going to return to the live stage, starting, well, actually ending, with Sketchfest in San Francisco on February 3rd, Mm -hmm. and then on February 1st and 2nd, uh, we haven't quite nailed it down, but it's going to be Seattle and Portland. Yeah. Uh, Not sure of the order, but we were going to be putting all this information out on our social media channels, right? Yep, and on Friday, October 7th, tickets will be on sale for all three shows, and you can watch our social media handles for information and ticket links. How about that? That sounds great. Can't wait to be back on stage. We really, really missed it. Yep, and we'll see you guys in February. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. And welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh, and there's Chuck, and Jerry's here too, providing us with last minute facts and informations and tidbits. <laughs> and that makes this a banger of an episode of Stuff You Should Know. It's a banger. Is that how they say it, the Brits? Yeah. <laughs> Is that your British accent? Was that your John Cleese? <laughs> By way of Chicago. <laughs> uh, can I make a quick announcement? Oh, goodness. Sure. It just occurred to me that I'm clean to announce this now that I go into the recording studio in my basement, which is now full of my wife Emily's business. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Because you, you've known this for a while, yeah. Jerry, too. But uh, Emily shut down her business, everybody. Yeah. Uh, and rather than me trying to stumble through her thought process, uh, she ha- here she is now. Um, <laughs> she has her full like statement on her website. Uh, loveyourmama.com and all the hand-wringing that went into it. And yeah. uh, she had a 20-year run. It was a great thing. And uh, she's going to keep her website going, though, because she's going to she's gonna still do, like, she said she's going to make things from only from things she can grow. Oh, nice. So the, the business itself is a, hey, I got to dominate the world uh, mm-hmm. because I'm ambitious mm-hmm. type of thing. Yeah, I'm an independent <laughs> that, woman of the 90s. <laughs> that has gone away, but she's going to still do probably some uh, face sprays and things like that. Anything she can grow from her own herb garden right? Uh, on a very small level, very limited things. Nice. That's so how you get the not, big bucks. She's got it figured out. <laughs> yeah. There's limited so, uh, She's not retiring anything, but um, just big thanks to everybody. She got a lot of support from the Stuff You Should Know Army over the years. Yeah. Uh, both emotionally and by buying things yeah. every time we mentioned her. So it really meant a lot to her, uh, and she wanted me to pass that along. That was very nice, and congratulations to Emily on a 20-year run. That is rather respectable for a small business. I think so, and uh, we're all proud of her, and now I'm the walls are closing up here in the basement. <laughs> right. So Because she couldn't get rid of everything. We have two storage spaces in now our basement uh, so she'll be working on that, getting rid of that stuff for a while as I'll, well. I'll bet it smells amazing, at least. It smells better than it ever has down here. You know what I'll bet it smells better than, Chuck? A dirty old license plate. That's right. Especially <laughs> one that says Sportsman's Paradise from Louisiana that they got out of the stomach of a shark in jaw. Right. Or Ass Man from New York City. <laughs> hey, it's the Ass Man. You got that straight... <laughs> so, uh, by the way, since you brought up Seinfeld, I went back and started watching um, uh, Larry Sanders' show on HBO. Mm, great. <laughs> like, 
maybe the greatest, actually. <laughs> the great, yeah. Uh, like on rewatching, I'm like, this is <laughs> this is even better than it was years ago. And yeah. I've come to believe that Jerry Seinfeld is a twee impression of Gary Shandling. That Gary Shandling is the legit OG, and Seinfeld is, is just a, 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 a aberration of him. I think Seinfeld would certainly own up to being influenced by Gary Shandling. He'd probably really punch me in the stomach for calling him Twee, though. <laughs> uh, no, he would just say, who are you again? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'd, and I'd just go home devastated. No, great show, but uh, I think ahead of its time as well. Larry Sanders? Yeah, absolutely ahead of its time for sure. It's definitely worth watching. If you have HBO Max, it's all over it, and just go watch it and thank me later, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, and, and uh, sorry, let's, let me give it one more kudo. Mm-hmm. Uh, all respect to 30 Rock, but Larry Sanders is easily the best sort of behind the scenes mm-hmm. of a TV show, movie uh, set type of thing I've ever seen. Yeah, even yeah. better than The Player because it was way funnier. Mm, well, yeah, The Player was great in some way, though. Yeah, but it's no Larry Sanders show. <laughs> Correct. Um, so uh, one more thing while we're shouting out TV shows. Um, I also saw both of them are on Netflix, um, and they're both horror TV shows, and they are awesome. One is like straight-ahead, scare-you-to-death horror, Japanese mm-hmm. horror. It's Juon the Origins. So, you know, the, the grudge? Yeah. So it was Juon in Japan. And this TV show, it's like an eight-part series, I think, maybe six. It's like the origins that lead up to Juwan, like grudge. The Grudge. It's amazingly well done. It's perfectly tailored to fit it, just precisely. It's so well done. And then the other one is called Marianne, and it's a French-language witch story um, set in today's time, but it deals with like a 16th-century witch, I think. And it's not quite as straight-ahead scary, but it's really, really good. Nonetheless, it's very engrossing. You guys watch a lot of horror. Yeah, yeah. Yumi has to just by proxy. But yes, I watch a lot of horror. I don't get to because Emily's not into it. But we've been loving uh, The Bear. And, uh, of course, I shouted out a lot, but another shout-out to Reservation Dogs. BJ and The Bear? <laughs> no, The Bear. Chuck, I'm you haven't the- seen that? No, I haven't. Is that? Oh, wait. Good. Wait a minute. Is that it's about the, the Chicago restaurant? I tried, and I was like, "It's very stressful." <laughs> no, it wasn't even that. It was very boring. Oh, okay. I thought. Oh, that's interesting because it's like the most adrenaline fueled show on TV. I know it's really weird, but I was like, I could not be more bored than I am right now. But it, I get what you're saying. It was, it was a weird juxtaposition because I know I was supposed to be like <laughs> feeling intense, and I was just like, "This is, I don't like it." So not, well, not to you'd yuck anybody's yum. Heroin. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> you'd also done some heroin. That probably but that's true. I couldn't <laughs> couldn't stay awake. No, I definitely did not do any heroin. It was just no. that show was extremely boring to me. But All right. Again, well. I mean, if you like it, that's great. I'm not trying to tell you not to. I'm just that was sure. my take on it. <laughs> so I'm glad we ate up some time because Chuck, I I this is my pick. License plates. And it turns out it's a little more boring than I had anticipated. Like something oh, this— I like this stuff. I do, too. I do, too. And there's some interesting stuff in there. But something this sweeping, a global worldwide phenomenon that's been mm-hmm. around for over 100 years, <laughs> you would think there'd be a little more, like, crazy stuff, you know, associated <laughs> with it. And there's just not. I mean, Ed helped us out with this. And he did, God bless him, his best work trying to find anything to make this interesting. And he finally did, you know. And we found some other stuff, too. But it's just not as engrossing as I thought. It's kind of like the bear. <laughs> <laughs> that Grudge show, that is so funny, too. I was watching that the other day. It's hysterical. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I um, I disagree. I think you're selling this short. I think I thought this was really interesting considering it's a show about letters and numbers on a piece of metal on the back of a car. Uh, okay, point made. And also, I should say, um, this was also a listener request uh, AJ and Tracy in Pittsburgh-ish, uh, Tracy said, uh, they requested this one not too long ago, a few weeks ago. And, man, that's the kind of turnaround time we have here at Stuff You Should Know. Yeah, and we know it's them because their license plate says PTSBRGISH. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty great. The that great was, new show. You just did that off the cuff, too, man. I'm impressed. Well, there's too many characters in there, but. Everyone gets a joke. Okay. So what country do you think invented the license plate, Chuck? 
Mm, had to be the United States with our industry in automobiles. You would think so, but no. As a matter of fact, the French had us beat by a good decade, a full decade. Not that kind of rough decade where it could be anywhere from like six to eight years. A mm-hmm. 10-year stretch. <laughs> the uh, There was actually one guy who, who kind of originated them. He was the prefect of the Paris police force. His name was Louis Lepine. And in 1893, he said, hey— we're starting to get more cars on the road, and I think we need to kind of regulate them a little better than we are, which is to say we're not doing that at all. Yeah, so they came up with all kinds of stuff, uh, plates, driver's tests, driver ID, speed limits, stuff like that. And the U.S., as we do, look to the French for all things. And in, I believe, New York was the first uh, U.S. state to require a law, and this was in 1901, April 25, that basically said, all right, here's the deal. You need to put your initials on your car somewhere. They need to be three inches tall, Mm -hmm. but otherwise go wild. It's up to you how you want to do this. If you want to make them out of little Garfields that no one will understand for many years, (laughs) you you do that. Uh, And New Yorkers did it. And I think that this sort of customization allowed for some kind of creative – New Yorkers to do different things, uh, everything from like wood to leather and I'm sure all kinds of crazy fonts. Sure, definitely. Like a lot of people just went to the hardware store and bought house numbers. Um, some people just painted them directly on their cars. And like the one one thing I saw is this is so early. There's so few cars on the road that this was not like a revenue generating move. They were actually using it like you had to put your own initials on the car so that if you terrorized a horse or drove up on the sidewalk or did donuts Mm -hmm. in the middle of Times Square, they would know who did that. And that's the kind of, like, usage that cars were getting. There were a lot of, like, jerks driving cars initially, um, and that was a way to kind of rein their behavior in. Yeah, and then the 10-year mark, like you talked about, in 1903 is basically at the point when they said, all right, we got to start issuing these things because this initial – we didn't really think out this initial plan mm-hmm. right. <laughs> uh, because people have the same initials. There's a lot more cars and we can't go around just looking for every, you know, GRL in New York to find out who was terrorizing the horse. Yeah. Gary Larson. Wait, Gary Regis Larson. Well, it depends on if you're doing a monogram. Okay. So it could be Gary Larson Regis. <laughs> I could have been correct. <laughs> What's the deal with that? Well, we should do a short stuff on monograms. Oh, well, what are they great do idea, buddy. Great idea. Um, so 1903, that was kind of like a, a watershed year for license plates in the United States. And also I realize, I'm sad to realize that it was a rough decade from 1893 to 1901. It wasn't a full decade. But um, 1903, that's why I thought it was a full decade because it was just such a huge year where all these other states said, yeah, we're going to get on board. First, it was uh, Philadelphia, not a state, but it's in Pennsylvania, kind of near Pittsburghish, uh, if you think about it. And they were the first city to issue official license plates. Cleveland was technically the first city in the whole country, even before New York, to require license plates, but they didn't issue them. Philadelphia was the first city to actually issue them in the U.S. Right. And apparently Pennsylvania likes to say they, you know, that makes them the first state to do so. Eh. Technically correct, but uh, the state of Massachusetts was the first state to do a statewide program uh, and not just the city of Philadelphia. Um, So, and this is kind of the cool thing and and put a pin in this as for collectibles later on, but uh, Massachusetts did the thing that a lot of other states did was they started at one and they just started working their way up. And apparently the Highway Commission uh, Highway Commission member named Frederick Tudor mm-hmm. got license plate number one. And that they still, his, his ancestors years later, still have that number. Yeah, and Frederick Tudor uh, ties in with our Transcendentalist episode because his father was the ice king, the guy who harvested ice on Walden Pond while Thoreau oh, was no there way. and shipped it all over the world. So Very cool. strange, surprising tie-in, Chuck. Um, should we go over what we like to call our bulleted list? I love them. <laughs> They're so great. It's just packed with information, no frills, you know? Man, I used to do a lot of those on the old How Stuff Works articles. I think 
uh, Katie, my editor, always used to make fun of me because I used to do bulleted lists so hey, much. They get the point across, and like you can absorb them so easily. I love bulleted lists, buddy. You didn't do them a lot, though. You were into the pros. Yeah, I like to hear myself talk, but I respect a bulleted list. It is funny, personality-wise. I'm definitely a bullet list personality guy. I made this bulleted list. It's in my personality <laughs> as well. I actually right. took... Uh, uh, paragraphs and broke them into bullets. I know. So I'm bullet too, okay? I can hang out with the bullet people too. Did you do the bullets as little movie t- uh, slates or was that some accident on my end? <laughs> that was an accident on your end, but a happy That's accident so it sounds like. Yeah, when I printed this out, instead of little round bullets, they're little, you know, movie clappers, movie I, slates. I don't know how I did that, but I'd, I'll try to recreate it. I didn't know it was even possible. Anyway. Uh, what do we got here first? Hit the first one. Oh, okay. So the first slogan on a license plate was Idaho potatoes, which is okay. pretty cool. I mean, that would uh, hang around for a while. Um, but they actually embossed a brown potato that took mm-hmm. up most of the, the license plate, and it looked a lot like poop. And it, yeah. didn't, it didn't <laughs> stick around very long. I think that was just a one-year thing. Uh, something that has stuck around uh, is the longest slogan streak. Mm-hmm. In the United States, and it's one of my favorite license plates because of this. Uh, it started in 1936 in the great state of Maine, uh, Maine? in the great state of Maine, mm-hmm. Vacation Land. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the title of our friend John Hodgman's book. Uh, yeah, one of them. And it's been on Maine's license plate since 1936. Every year since then, that's quite a streak. That's far and away the longest streak. I think the next longest is like 1947, and I can't remember which which slogan it is. I just love that slogan. It just sounds so welcoming. Vacation land. Yeah, and the fact that it's like one word, too, it's just yes. pretty. They, they like, it. nailed it right on the head, right out of the gate, basically. Absolutely. Uh, what else? Florida had a grapefruit. <laughs> uh, used to have a grapefruit on their plates starting in 1935, but the, it just took a year because it looked like the sort of the cartoon bombs, <laughs> the little little black uh, circle with the fuse coming out right. of it. and looks very much like a grapefruit now that you think of it. Yeah, and that license plate became known as the bomb license plate. So that was long before the bomb meant something good. And they just right. they took it out of circulation. And actually, there's um, something that, it, that wasn't an error. Like, that was intentional, but they didn't mean for it to look like a bomb. There was a straight-up sure. controversial error that happened in 2021 in Ohio where they issued the brand-new license plate, this beautiful license plate, um, and there's a banner being pulled by the Wright Brothers airplane. But after they announced it, (laughs) and it it printed 30,000 of these things already, some people pointed out on the Internet, I think on Twitter, that they had the airplane backwards on the license plate. Who can tell? It looks like a box kite. (laughs) It does, and it looks like the way that they had it originally – you can understand how they got it like that, but they just sure. didn't check their work. And then North Carolina, you know, North Carolina and Ohio have been going back and forth about which place actually was the birthplace yeah. of aviation. They went on Twitter and they said, y'all, leave Ohio alone. They wouldn't know because they weren't there. Oh, Yeah, it burn. was a pretty, pretty good burn, actually. But that was very recent controversy. One of the most interesting things about license plates. Uh, the first vanity plates, 1931. Uh-huh. Great state of Pennsylvania once again. Yeah. What else? Uh, I think in 57, uh, they standardized the size nationwide, Mm -hmm. uh, which is 6 by 12, unless you were riding a motor scooter or a motorbike. (laughs) And those are are the cutest plates of all. I love those things. Yeah, and those aren't standardized, apparently. They're just supposed to be smaller, I guess. Yeah, like something that doesn't look dumb on the back of a motorcycle. Right, not oversized. You know, you want it to be proportionate. Um, and then 1971 was a big year, too, because that was when 3M started supplying reflective sheeting to um, license plates. Like, in yeah. uh, leading up to that time, at night, you were pretty much SOL. But now, you could shine some headlights on these newfangled license plates, and they would just glow right back at you, and you could see who was driving recklessly in front of you, right? Um, and that actually is going to be kind of controversial, as we'll see in the coming years, starting after 1971. But I say we take a, an, uh, a break, and we'll get back to all that right after it. How about that? That sounds great. Well, now, when you're on the road... Driving in your truck, why not learn a thing or two from Josh and Chuck? It's Stuff You Should Know. Stuff You Should Know. All right. 
Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. So, Chuck, if you look at all of the license plates in the United States, they the fonts that are actually like the string of numbers or if it's vanity plate, like the actual like word or abbreviation, whatever, mm-hmm. those look remarkably similar across the United States. But they're not quite the same. Uh, I saw somewhere that there's like four different characterizations or four different types, and they're, they're characterized by just little changes like the, the edges are squared or rounded, that kind of thing. Right. But they're remarkably similar. And supposedly, there's the reason for that is there's one company in the U.S. that supplied all of the dyes for that embossing for many, many years. Yes, the John R. Wald Company. And uh, Ed points out that he got a lot of his information from a couple of – a few different websites of license plate collectors. Mm-hmm. 
And, you know, usually we pride ourselves on like super legit sources. And it's not to say these aren't, but for an episode like this, you know, that's about as legit as you can get. Mm -hmm. But he does point out that these collectors are really, really serious people about their collecting. So it's probably more verifiable than just about anything that we ever look up. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, I agree because there is a lot, there's a real dearth of information out there. There's like a, a list of 10 interesting facts about license plates, and they're and that's copied it. and pasted <laughs> everywhere all over the internet, basically. But um, Ed did turn up something really interesting about European plates, right? Yeah. And sort of to back up this story, we should talk uh, briefly about its uh, predecessor in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they started making plates in Chicago early on, they realized pretty quickly that people could fake their license tags. Yeah. So they started making, um, they started issuing numbers to people, like just the metal numbers they had to mount on their own. Right. Because they were making these metal numbers uh, it basically in a in a way that was unique enough to where they were, like you couldn't pick it up your, at your local hardware store. Right. Uh, so you could spot the fakes. And this came back later in Europe in the 1970s in Germany, uh, when a left-wing radical group called the Red Army Faction was um, doing car bombings and kidnappings and bank robberies and all kinds of bad things. And they were using fake, you know, they were faking their license plates, uh, those cool, cool European license plates that yeah. are shorter and longer and just as James Bondy as you can imagine. Yeah, because when uh, they flip up, there's a machine gun behind them. <laughs> Or an oil slick. Sure. Um, it's funny because I, I think a lot of Americans think European plates look super cool. And I've talked to some Europeans that think American plates look cool with the graphics and stuff. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just a grass is greener thing. But I, I think those European plates are awesome. I'm all about the American plates, I have to admit. <laughs> okay. Uh, so anyway, they were faking these license plates, getting away with it. And they realized that the font that they were using, uh, DIN 1451, was really uniform, and it was, you know, I mean, like a lot of fonts, if you take the leg off of an R, you've got a P. Right. But this was sort of that to the extreme, where it was really easy just to sort of remove certain strokes to come up with other letters and still have the plate look believable. Yeah, you could just put, like, black or white electrical tape over it. And the problem was Germany did use that same font, DIN 1451, throughout the entire country. And so um, the Red Army faction had the whole country so nervous and scared that the government was like, we need to come up with a new font for our license plates. And they set a, a, a calligrapher and design professor named Carl George, one word, Hoofer, and he created something called Effie Schrift, an entirely new font from scratch in just a few months in, the, I think, the summer of 1978. And you took German in high school. You going to say the word? So no, say no, the I'm word? not. <laughs> Even practicing, I was like, I probably shouldn't say this. On the podcast. I I had to, yeah, it's tough. I had to break it down. And even with my German experience, I mean, it is a long word. I I didn't count the letters, but it looks like the German alphabet, basically. (laughs) It looks like the American alphabet. Have at it, buddy. So I'm going to say it's Felschungser Schwerunde. Oh, jeez. Wow, that was close. I had it so good. That was close. Felschungser Schwerunde Schrift. Very nice. Yeah, that's it. I think that's right. And the first word before shrift, that was all one word, isn't it? It's quite a word. It's a long word. And it means, from what I understand in German, either fraud preventing or falsification hindering. And then shrift means font. So it's a falsification hindering font. And the way that um, Carl George Hoofer um, came up with this font, or the way that he made it difficult to forge, mm-hmm. is he added what are known as serifs uh, or serifs. I think it's yeah. serif, right? And <laughs> it's serif. I I had never known what a serif was until really I started researching this episode. Yeah, I I never are knew. Are you kidding me? No. So a serif for those of you who are like me, like how I used to be, it was so recent. I can remember. <laughs> I can really identify with you guys. But a serif is like a little extra flourish on a letter that gives it a little extra pop, a little oomph. So if you draw a letter I and then you make crossbars at the top and bottom. Those crossbars are technically serifs, right? Yeah, and just let me explain. The reason I was shocked was because of your uh, your past history in publishing and newspaper things. Yeah. And, and as a writer, 
and serifs and sans serifs is just uh, something I would have thought you would have known. No, by never bothered to go figure it out. I walked around knowing I did not know what a serif was or that serif was even necessarily a thing. I did know You're that there's a sans serif guy, though. Serif. Right? And is I think it's sans serif, and this is why, Chuck, because sans in French means without. So I you think didn't it's serif. <laughs> I knew that sans meant without. Oh, okay. I just never put the the two together. I this yes, wow. this is all very embarrassing. All of a sudden, <laughs> I thought I thought admitting this would just kind of make the episode move along more smoothly. But I, it I'm calling in so much attention. There's a spotlight on me. I'm sweating quite a bit, and uh, I'm really very uncomfortable. And we took an ad break too recently ago to just go to it. Right. <laughs> I'm really sorry. This all surprises me because you're a, a, a very much a sans serif guy. Uh, is like that right? you're a, like a yeah. I mean, aren't you sort of Calibri or like what's your font? Yeah, you Calibri use? is my font. Calibri on ten point. See, I'm Times New Roman fourteen point all the way, yeah. as you know. Yeah. Uh, so I'm looking at serifs all day long, all the time. What's funny is Calibri ten point is way more bullet listy than Times yeah, New yeah. Roman on fourteen. So it's funny we kind of cross over to one another <laughs> side in different places. Yeah, it's funny. Whenever we do live shows, I had to like your <laughs> tiny little font. I just who reads ten point font? That's so tiny. I know. You but say paper, which is great. Yours is so big, the front row can follow along with, with the episode because <laughs> they can see it so clearly. We should settle at twelve, which is I think the standard, right? Yeah, it's still too big for me. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm challenging my eyes. <laughs> All right. Sorry to to tease you about the serif That's stuff. Okay. I forgive you. But the point is, he added these serifs basically here and there to make it to where it was really hard to replicate. Yeah, and again, he basically churned this out in a few months because Germany was in like this emergency state because the Red Army faction was terrorizing literally the country. And then by the time it was ready for production, I guess the Red Army faction had been largely broken up and they just shelved F.E. Schrift. Until I think the mid '90s, for almost 15 or so years, that's it, crazy. It just went away, and, but luckily they already kind of had it. So when the European Union started to try to standardize um, license plates across the whole EU, Germany stepped up and said, "Hey, we've got this really great font called yeah. FE Schrift. What <laughs> do you guys think about this one?" And they were like, "What's the FE stand for?" And Germany said, "Don't ask." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, 22 letters long. You don't want to know. <laughs> I mean, it looks Icelandic almost. Yeah. Um, so now we come to the the very scintillating part of the episode where we talk about uh, tag fees. <laughs> um, there are not standardized tag fees across the country because states handle this. It's not federalized. Right. At least not yet. <laughs> and uh, Ed used New York as an example because Ed lives in uh, in New York. and But most states are about the same and that you can uh, usually pay a little bit of extra money anywhere from, well, $10 is the low, which is Virginia, which yeah. we'll get to that in a second. Right. Um, all the way up to like 60 75 even. I think uh, Washington, D.C. is about the most expensive at 100 bucks. Uh, at least it was recently to get a specialty plate. Wow, um, which one do you know? Uh, which plate? Yeah, the, which specialty plate is hundred bucks in DC? Is it the taxation that, without representation one? Well, I think that actually may be for vanity, which you know we should point okay. out those are two different things. Yeah. A specialty plate can be, uh, you know, support the ASPCA or support veterans or hey, I'm a teacher or I'm a firefighter, mm -hmm. or this is an antique car, like any of those sort of standard things you can pay extra for. But then you can also obviously get to your your vanity plate, which you're going to pay even more on top of that. So I was looking up cool um, specialty plates around the country, and um, there are some neat ones. I found, I think, a popular mechanic slideshow. And Montana has this really cool one. It's just black and white, mostly black field with some white here or there. And they yeah. have a T-Rex skull on theirs. It's like su <laughs> cool. it supports the museums in the state. Um, yeah. Florida has a great one. It's got um, a space shuttle taking off. Or, um, with, with you know, on the rockets and all the boosters and all that stuff, um, and nice. it's it's to um, commemorate the Challenger and Columbia disasters. It's very good looking, and then California has one that supports its museums. And um, I guess Charles Schultz's estate lent Snoopy out just to help drum up money, so you can get a Snoopy license plate in California. 
Yeah, and that's the whole deal is usually some of this money goes toward these organizations um, and not just like in the coffers of the state. Uh, since you brought up California, I can say that we used to love trying to spot when I lived there the old um, blue, for my money, the coolest license plate ever, the blue with yellow letter mm -hmm. California license plate from the 70s that you used to see on chips all the time. Yeah. And you would occasionally still see those out in L.A., and it was it was always kind of a cool thing. I think they have that. You can get it. It's a throwback. Um, I, I guess oh, I saw it nice. as like the 1965 edition. And cool. like, so, you know, there's so many people into like hot rods and stuff out in California. They're like going yeah. crazy for that because it makes their car look that much more authentic. I'd love it. I would totally get one. So vanity plates, like you said, they're a different thing. They're going to cost you a lot more depending on where you are. And did you see that HuffPost slideshow that I sent? Yeah. <laughs> like, I was literally <laughs> laughing an hour or so after yeah. last looking at it. Like, just could it's, not stop laughing. Fun. There was one. You, can you guess what my favorite one was? No. There was one. I think it was either Minnesota or North Carolina. And it was J is Lord, as in Jesus is Lord. But that took up all of the spaces on the license plate. So it was one word. J-I-S Lord. <laughs> and like I can't I could not stop laughing about that yesterday because I'm sure the guy who got a Jesus is Lord license plate gets so mad when you point out what else it looks like. Um, and, yeah. And if you haven't just sound it out. J-I-S sure. Lord all one word. Yeah. I mean a lot of those are um, I think well intended that turned out to look like other things. Kind of like <laughs> Ass Man on Seinfeld. Right. Uh, and there was a very popular one in Florida uh, that was true, at least Snopes said so, uh, that was, uh, and I'm not going to spell this one out, you just got to use your imagination, folks. Uh, A55, and then remember, there's a big uh, orange in the middle mm -hmm. that looks like an O. Yep. Uh, A A55, and then that symbol, and then RGY, which... Uh, <laughs> Just, just write it down. I mean, that had to like slip past them. They just because there wasn't an O in there, they used the orange for the O. Surely yeah. the the people were just like I, they didn't think anything of it, right? <laughs> it's very, very creative. I saw it. I saw it in um, I think a Medium article. I can't remember who wrote it, but um, the author was talking about how like some DMVs will like use Urban Dictionary and like mm -hmm. scroll the internet and like try to figure oh, out what people are saying in these things to decide whether to deny yeah. or approve them. Especially these days. Yeah. Um, and actually, we'll get to that in a second on on free speech, but. Uh, with vanity plates, there are certain rules. Uh, obviously, you're not supposed to say uh, naughty, dirty things, even <laughs> though people try and get by it in creative ways, like we just mentioned. Even accidentally. Uh, <laughs> you're not allowed to use um, like an O, the letter, I'm sorry, like the, in fact, some states don't even use the letter zero or the letter O because you can intersperse the or interchange those to make it look like the other mm -hmm. to get around the no profanity thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then as far as vanity plates go, and I was shocked at this number or this list of Virginia being number one in vanity plates, but it's by percentage, which makes a lot more sense. Uh, because when I went to California for the first time, mm -hmm. when I was, I think, 18, I had never seen so many uh, vanity plates in my life as in L.A. And I was like, this is crazy. And, and I thought kind of dumb, but... If that's your thing, that's your thing. But Virginia has 16.19% uh, of their plates, <laughs> and it's because they're cheap there. It's only 10 bucks. Right. Uh, and I think New Hampshire was next, followed by Illinois, Nevada, Montana, and Texas was the lowest at 0.5%. Hmm. Hmm. And then uh, Canadians, we don't want to forget about you. Ontario leads the way with 4.9%, 59 followed by Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Yukon, and then the lowest was British Columbia at 0.59%. They don't care. There's some sociological study just begging to be designed through right? that, you know? <laughs> I'm not quite yeah. sure what it is, but I can see it in there somewhere. So Yeah, Texas is just like, yeah, we don't care. We're from Texas. Right. Um, so the, the whole thing with um, vanity plates and, uh, you know, your ability to say whatever you want and the state being able to deny you from getting a plate that you want – um, brings up in the United States free speech issues because you are paying for this um, and mm -hmm. you're displaying it on your car. It's like you are saying this. That's 
automatically protected by the First Amendment. But it's a little fuzzy, Chuck, because the state is issuing this thing that you're saying whatever you want to say on. And in some way, you're repping them as well, or they're repped on the license plate. So they may or may not want to be associated with whatever you're saying. Yeah. And when it's come to the courts, they have generally sided with people. Uh, Like Ed gave the example, there was a a license plate issued in North Carolina that said white power, uh, W-Y-T-E dash, I guess, P-W-R or P-W-E-R. P-O-W-R. Oh, it was the full the full word. Yeah. So you know, uh, free speech, yeehaw, uh, and courts generally generally side with. Uh, and I think when it becomes um, dirty words and stuff, is they get a little more involved. Yeah, definitely. And so you can't do things like that. Yeah. But um, I don't know. It's interesting. So um, there's there. It, I saw it goes both ways. They don't necessarily, as a rule, you know, side with the the individual. Like there was a woman in. I want to say New Hampshire or Vermont, maybe. And in the 90s, I think she um, she requested S-H-T-H-P-N-S. The second part is happens. And her mm-hmm. whole thing was like she had it as just a reminder. She went through a really terrible year. And she had yeah. it as a reminder that like, you know, this stuff happens. You just kind of get through it or whatever. And the state sure. was like, no, those first three letters are dirty. And I think yeah. the Supreme Court ruled in the state's favor. They're like, yep, that's dirty. You can't have it. Yeah. And she was like, this is so like, think about context and nuance, guys. And they were like, no. And uh, she could not have her S-H-T-H-P-N-S license plate. I wonder if anyone has SYSK fan. Oh man, <laughs> that that's if they do, I want to hear about it. Because mine says SYSK host, right? And mine says <laughs> SYSKHST, right? <laughs> uh, and Jerry says uh, Miso. <laughs> <laughs> nice man. Um, no, of course mine doesn't say that. But it, oh, it's funny. Yeah. I do. I did have. And I think I mentioned this on, on an episode at some point. Uh, one of my pickup truck that I still have has 666 uh, oh, on yeah. the plate you b- keep by that accident, one. which I thought was kind of funny. Sure, yeah. I, I don't, I'm don't. i sure they would give you 666 if you wanted it, but it's way funnier when it's accidental. 666 or LSD, those accidental ones are hilarious. Yeah, it is interesting, though, the question of what is allowed, because um, I could see some... Uh, like religious conservatives saying they don't want someone to be able to say hail Satan on their plate. Mm. Uh, but I mean, surely that's free speech. Like the courts would decide on the favor of the, the car owner in that case. I, I would, would imagine. think so because it's free speech in that you're just saying what you want to say, but it's also religion. You can certainly make an argument and I could see them. I could see the state being like, okay, fine. You know, I think it tends to be like you said, where it's a, a foul word according to the state, and or like a straight up, like straight up hate speech or a racial slur or something like that. Sadly, in the United States, some people try to get license plates that have racial slurs, and they tend to be like out of hand denied. And I don't really think a court would would side with that person. I now have a new goal in life. I just realized I want to get an old, uh, an old full-size Woody station wagon Mm -hmm. from the 60s or 70s. Mm -hmm. And I want the license plate to say, hail S-T-N-W-G-N. W-G-N. Not hail Satan, hail station wagon. Oh, nice. Very nice. <laughs> but it looks like hail station, hail, hail Satan. I'm so bad at that. Um, I would be like, hail Stan Wang? <laughs> <laughs> so that happened to me in L.A. a lot. I would be like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. No, I'm with you. That's like very unclear sometimes. Yumi is actually really good at it, and she um, admitted last night that it was because she practiced so much as a kid because there was a game show on, I think in the 80s, called like Bumper Busters or Bumper Buddies, and the whole game show is you guessing what a license plate says. (laughs) I'm not kidding. That was it. Wow. I just kept waiting for like the next round to come up, and nope, that was all they did. That's really funny. Yeah. And and also, while we're on it, Chuck, just real quick, I got to shout out um, that Medium article that I was talking about. It's um, The Never-Ending Free Speech Fight Over Vanity License Plates by Zara Stone. It's a good article. All right. How about we take a break? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll dream up a couple of more great uh, vanity plates, okay. even though Hail Station Wagon, is, I think I just came up with something I great. I think it's wonderful. 
And we'll talk about uh, whiskey plates and uh, who makes these things right after this. Well, now when you're on the road, driving in your truck, why not learn a thing or two from Josh and Chuck? It's Stuff You Should Know. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. It is 2024, and we're going to get through this together, folks. My campaign promise to all of you... Here on Next Question, it's going to be a good time the whole time, we hope. I have some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring Kris Jenner, who's got some words of wisdom for me on being a good grandmother, or in her case, a good lovey. You know, you start thinking of what you want your grandmother name to be. Like, are they going to call me grandma like I called my grandmother? So I got to choose my name, which is now lovey. I'll also be joined by Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, to name a few. So come on in and take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. I loved it. Your energy and joy. I'm squeezing every minute I can for you out of this season of Next Question. Last question, I promise. You have to go. I have to go. <laughs> but it's been so fun. And I can't wait for you to hear it. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. I mentioned whiskey plates before we took a break, and whiskey plates have nothing to do with whiskey or the whiskey industry. Uh, it is because W is... Uh, whiskey in the NATO alphabet, 
and they just call them whiskey plates in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. But there is an interesting tie in that you get a W at the front of your license plate if you have been, uh, if basically you've had your, is it your license revoked because of a DUI? Yeah, but they revoke it so hard they take your license plates too. Right, but they can't take your car because other people in your family might need to drive that car. So what they do is they give you a plate with a W at the beginning that basically tells everybody, hey, I have had my license plate revoked because of drunken driving. Yeah, and um, Minnesota is not the only um, state to do this. Ohio has their own one. And they, yeah. they I guess, very unironically use scarlet letters uh-huh. for theirs. No joke. I've, I have family members with that. Do you uh, really? No way. With that plate, yeah. That's amazing. So apparently judges weren't using them as much as they, they um, as much as the legislature wanted. So the legislature changed the law saying that judges had to use them um, for, for, I think, starting in the 2000 teens. So, yeah, I guess you're probably seeing a lot more scarlet letters on cars in Ohio these days. Yeah, I didn't know what it was. And this is, uh, I don't want to be too specific, but when I was in Ohio uh, visiting Emily's family, I remember walking up the driveway to a family function. And uh, I think my father-in-law was like, <laughs> oh, check it out. Look who's got the, the scarlet letter. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Glug Glug. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask about it, and I, I, uh, but I was confused whether I should or not after that rope injury story that I failed to ask you about. <laughs> So now I'm like all shaky and nervous all the time You're when you shy. mention stories. I'm like, should I ask or not? Um, so another thing that's happened over the years is uh, people have gotten themselves into trouble for being a little too clever for their own good by having a license plate that says no tags or no plates or something like that. Mm-hmm. Because when a cop files a report for a car that doesn't have license plate, this is generally what they would write, no plate or no tags. So it gets filed as, you know, a violator, and then all of a sudden you're getting pulled over. And this is, you know, verifiably happened before. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a case in the late 70s of a guy who got um, a lot of fines because of stuff that he didn't do because he was like, hey, I got a no plates vanity plate. Okay, so I want to I defend this guy, Robert Barber. Um, he did have a no plates vanity plate, but it was accidental because he was oh, applying was okay. for vanity plates and you have to put your three, your top three choices. He wanted boating, sailing, and then if these two weren't available, he didn't want a vanity plate. So he unwisely wrote no plates oh, in the third. it was a mistake. And the DMV, <laughs> totally humorless, always looking out for dirty words, just said, uh-huh. great, this guy wants a no plates license plate. Let's give it to him. Yeah. Well, of course... What was it? Boating and sailing? That's not going to be on there. He, I guess he was just rolling the dice. Jimmy uh, Christopher Cross owns those in every state. <laughs> yeah, he does. Very <laughs> famously. So um, also, Chuck, there's a longstanding rumor that I think we should put to rest that um, prison inmates in the United States make the license plates in this country. True, false. <laughs> <laughs> It's false. Well, no. I was about to say myth <laughs> no, or busted, uh, and I, I combined false and myth. So I think I just yeah, yeah. kind of coined a new term. You don't have to say false or myth anymore. You can just say false. <laughs> it is true, actually. Um, and I don't, I don't think across the board, but a lot of times prison inmates still do make license plates. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's part of the, the sort of um, little to no wage labor system that the Prisons take advantage of in this country. Yeah, so um, thanks to the 13th Amendment, you cannot enslave a person unless they're being jailed for a crime. So most license plates, I believe it is most, Chuck, um, are produced in the United States by slave labor, incarcerated prisoners. Um, And because you can't say, well, I'm going to fire you and you're not going to get any wages because you're not paying them anyway, they um, coerce them into working in other ways, like re- like removing their ability to see family, maybe putting them in solitary, um, yeah. basically punishing them if they won't work for free. And that's how the United States gets most of its license plates. And even worse, it's not just the Bureau of Prisons running this. They usually contract with an outside company who uses slave labor legally to produce these license plates from which they make a profit that they when they um, give them to the state. Yeah. It's a terrible, no, no terrible thing, and it's something that needs to be changed, but that's not on just about anyone's radar, I think, as far as changing laws goes. 
Well, it became kind of a joke, like, yeah, you're making license plates, you're going to jail. Yeah, especially the ones in New Hampshire where the the license plates say live free or die. (laughs) Well, speaking of that, um, and we're not going to go over the whole process of how they're made because it's not super interesting, Mm but um, I looked and there was a thing on Reddit where a guy went through, I think there was a, uh, or maybe he just did it on its own and made a map of the states that still have embossed plates rather than the just sort of printed on aluminum that we have now in Georgia. Ours are not embossed any longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though Jerry Wildest, she's got an embossed plate from like 20-something years ago still. Back to the podcast. And hangs on to it. Uh, but uh, from what I could tell, and I lost count because the picture was really small, mm-hmm. and then other people chimed in after. This was in 2019. they saying like, hey, now Kansas is not embossed anymore. So it looks like it's about roughly half and half mm-hmm. of states that are still embossing. Uh, and just one little fun note about this. I did not know. Uh, we got it, and I know the Vermonters out there are just waiting. Uh, I will not forget about you because Vermont is the only state that has debossed license plates. Oh, nice. Uh, it, it is not raised lettering. It is depressed. So depressed in Vermont. Very, very cool. So um, if you want to kind of take a little nostalgic trip, I found out by accident. There's a TitleMax.com um, post it's called 50 Years of License Plates in the U.S. Um, and you can see 50 Years of License Plates state by state. And if you mm-hmm. choose, like, the decade you were a kid and just go, you know, scroll down, it's like being back on the road again at age 10 yeah. in, like, the back of your parents' <laughs> car. It's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, I remember when they, as many people do, when they started just including little logos like the Georgia Peach. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just the straight up letters and numbers. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like, "Wow, is this is this the future here that we're looking at?" <laughs> it is. Well, speaking of the future, so they went from embossed or de-embossed to flat printed um, license plates. Now, apparently, there's some disruptors out of Silicon Valley because that's where they come from, yeah. uh, and they've come up with digital license plates. And some wow, states wow. are starting to be like, "Yep, you can do that." So for a fee, I think it's like fourteen dollars a month or. for four years, something like that. This company keeps your plate up to date. Um, You can have it personalized a little bit, and it looks super cool. You know, if you, especially if you have an electric car, you could do worse than putting a digital plate on the back of it. But obviously, not everybody has 250 bucks for four years. And I think that's in addition to all of the normal fees that apply for a license plate, too. That's right. Uh, and speaking of fees, that's something that you would not be able to collect, but people get really into collecting license plates. Definitely. Uh, and there are a couple of different ways. One um, is a little, well, I'm not going to say that. One is just collecting license plates, mm-hmm. physical license plates, maybe all of them through history in your state, maybe all of them throughout the whole country over the years, or just ones you think are super cool. Uh, and, you know, rare ones, um, like any collectible, are going to go for a lot more money. Um, you can also buy big lots of them on eBay for not much money. Uh, but the big money comes in collecting the actual ownership of a tag number. Uh, because if you remember earlier, we mentioned um, license plates in many states started at one and worked their way up. There's a lot of rich people <laughs> with way too much money, I yeah, guess. way too much. That want to pay a lot of money to have like eight as their license plate, and they will pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to get that. Yeah, apparently in the states, Delaware is the state that's craziest for this. There's a real secondary market where, yes, people pay six figures for a license plate number. And it's like, you know, when you buy a car, the plate gets transferred to you. So you can continue to keep this plate over and over again. So you're actually buying it from the person. And usually you you get the car with it, but you're like, I don't care about the yeah. car. I'm just after the right. plate. <laughs> but as crazy as Delaware is for their plates, um, and again, I think 700 grand is the most someone paid for tag number six in Delaware. Pretty crazy. In yeah. other countries especially Dubai, the UAE, Abu Dhabi, Hong Kong, it's just insane the amount of money they spend on on that stuff. I couldn't believe these numbers, but someone in New York apparently paid $20 million for a plate that said New York. Yeah, the kicker of that one is it came with the 96 Volvo wagon that it was attached to. (laughs) I'm not kidding. Oh, was it really a yeah. Volvo wagon? Yeah, yeah. Hey, somebody paid twenty million car. dollars for a Volvo wagon. Uh, and then the one in uh, in in uh, the Brits, I believe they paid someone in 
Is it Great Britain? Is it the UK? Is it England? What yes, am I getting get UK, in trouble for? Just say UK. <laughs> <laughs> Paid twenty million bucks for an F one license plate tag. Yeah. So if you if you want to get gagged with a spoon, head on over to Lux Digital with an E uh, after the X, and just read about the most expensive car tags ever, because you will find little gems like this. Saeed Abdul Ghaffar Khoury paid $9.5 million for one in Abu Dhabi because, quote, it's the best number. And then the Lux Digital <laughs> says, quote, by hanging one from his fenders, Khoury boldly let the world know that he was a man of confidence and prestige. Someone actually wrote that down and was dead serious about it. Wow. Yeah. It reminds me that I'm number one hat on SNL. I don't remember that. Oh, you don't? Like, uh, Will Ferrell's at, like, this black tie dinner, and he's, like, showing up all the other men because he's wearing a mesh-backed I'm number one hat. (laughs) (laughs) It's just completely incongruous with everything he's trying to do, but he's, like, showing everybody I'm number one. (laughs) That's that's pretty 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 great. uh, Pretty great stuff. Uh, I guess one final thing we put a pin in, so we have to take that pin out, or people would say, what about the pin? Mm-hmm. Good, good thinking. Uh, as you mentioned, 3M making the reflective plates. Uh, apparently, 3M uh, continually lobbies politicians to pass laws making people get license plates more often than they need to mm-hmm. so they can get bigger government contracts for those reflective plates, yeah. uh, reflective backing. And apparently, even police departments are like, we don't need new plates uh, this often, this is uh, we don't shouldn't have to do this. Yeah, and 3M's like, come on, you're not paying for it. Your residents are. Who cares? It's, it's nothing to your residents. It's millions of dollars to us. Just do it. Like they lobby for that, which is gross. In addition gross. to using in, enslaved prison labor to create license plates, they're a lot more tawdry than you'd think at first glance. Agreed. Um, so it turned out to be a really great pick, Tracy and AJ. Thank you for the suggestion. Uh, Chuck, thank you for turning this into an absolutely delightful episode. And thank you for listening. And since I said that, everybody, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this. Oh, this is a good one. Uh, this is a little bit on cultural appropriation because in uh, the mariachi episode, I talked about wanting a charo suit and said I would fear being accused of cultural appropriation, and you said nay to that. Nay. Uh, wear it, because people, you know, you're, you're celebrating that culture. And uh, we heard from a lot of people, um, and I'm going to read uh, a couple of them from our uh, Mexican friends, mm-hmm. who, and I'm not, uh, I'm not padding the results here, but literally 100% of our Mexican listeners mm-hmm. roundly said, do it, dude. We love it, and uh, that would be awesome. Yeah, Mexican and Mexican-American. Yes, of, of course. Okay. Um, hey, guys, as a Mexican myself, I listen to the episodes um, about our country, knowing so much on the topic, and you guys are always so spot on. Makes me love the podcast even more. With the mariachi uh, episode, I love mariachi music and personally love singing Vincente Fernandez music. And I want to let Chuck know, Chuck know mm-hmm. he should definitely dress at least once. In that style. Mm-hmm. Mexican people love when other ethnicities love their culture and style. And I would say in Mexico, they would even encourage you to try on a Charo suit. Keep doing what you're doing. That's from Joel Hernandez. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we received one from uh, Jamie Cavazos. Covarubias. Great, great name. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's uh, it's Jaime. Okay, right. Not Jamie. Spelled J-A-I-N. Right. Uh, Mexican came to the U.S. when I was 24 years old. I want to congratulate you on the preparation and pronunciation on the mariachi up. You guys did a great job, especially rolling those R's with your Spanish. Second, Chuck, you should wear a mariachi suit any day and be a champ. I was born and raised in Mexico, and I feel proud when a person likes my culture. It makes me happy that someone's interested in anything regarding the great parts of Mexico, like food, music, and its folklore, and many other good things. I will not call it cultural appropriation because I feel joy when the world likes even a little bit of what I am and want to keep spreading the beautiful roots from Mexican culture. Uh, It actually works both ways, guys, because I live in the North Alabama area. After seven years, I proudly call myself Southern now. Hmm. Uh, You can ask any Mexican person if they feel offended if you wear a mariachi suit. I'm confident they will encourage you to keep doing it. Uh, And then they, uh, Jaime encourages us to talk about, in the future, uh, Mexican trio romantico Mm -hmm. music. 
uh, which we're going to look into. Um, and not to poo-poo on anyone, but the couple of, no one really scolded me, but the couple of emails that we did get that were like, hey, maybe think twice, um, were from Caucasian people mm-hmm. uh, taking up the fight for our Mexican and Mexican-American friends. So uh, just just laying that out there. <laughs> Thanks, man. Nicely put. And uh, who was it in addition to Jaime uh, whose uh, email you read? That would be Joel Hernandez. Joel. Jaime and Joel, thank you so much for writing in. Everybody who wrote in, thank you very much, regardless of what your opinion was. We appreciate it. And we're always looking for good emails, regardless of what your opinion is. You can wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to stuffpodcasts at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.